Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there should be a black, hardbound Bible somewhere close by in a pew. Um, and 1 Corinthians 2 is on page 953 of that Bible. As you are turning there, I want to read a note. As you recall, last week we um, gave thanks to God for uh, the ministry of Debbie Jones among us, and uh, she has uh, written this note uh, for you to hear. First, I want to thank the Lord for answering my quiet prayer over 20 years ago. It was my heart's desire to work in our church office, and in His kindness, He answered my prayer and opened up the opportunity for me to serve as a church secretary. Second, I want to thank you for the beautiful cards and gifts. I am overwhelmed and humbled by your love. It has been a true joy and privilege to serve my church family all these years, and I love you all so much. Third, I want to thank the elders and deacons for their generous gift and thank them for all their godly leadership and faithful service to the Lord and our church. Fourth, I praise the Lord for Pastor Toby, Chad, Janine, Stephen, Justin, and others throughout the last 20 years that I've had the privilege of working with. What a blessing to come to work surrounded by friends that love you and encourage you each day in your walk with the Lord. They are a blessing to me, and I love and appreciate them all. And last, as I pray and seek the Lord for His will for new ways to serve, I ask for your prayers. In Christ's love, Debbie Jones. Also, as you know, um, Jeff uh, Smith's stepfather had passed away, and his service was this past week. And uh, Jeff and Barb uh, wrote this note that your prayers, support, and attendance at Jeffrey's stepfather's funeral and cards and beautiful flowers that you sent have helped us in this difficult time more than words can express. Well, may God continue to give you comfort. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What I actually want to do uh, is we won't read the whole of the text that's listed in your bulletin. We'll just read uh, verses 6 to 13 for now. Verses 6 to 13. This is what the Spirit of God says through the Apostle Paul. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no I has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Let's pray together. 
O God, we come to your word which has been inspired by your spirit through written by men that you carried along by your spirit. And now we come asking for the help of your spirit to be our teacher that you might shine your light on your truth that we might see it because of the work of the Spirit, that we might love it because of the work of the Spirit, that we might live according to it because of the work of the Spirit. We thank you for the Spirit's work in showing us the Lord Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection. And we pray that you will teach us and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. We are told that we live in the information age. Uh, Probably it would be more accurate to say we live in the age of information overload. The information that we have access to isn't limited to libraries or books or that gigantic set of Encyclopedia Britannicas that was on every one of our bookshelves for so long. Uh, It's gone digital. It's at our fingertips. It's on our computers. It's on our laptops. It's on our phones. All you have to do is Google it, right? Or ask Siri or ask Alexa. And when you do that, you'll find more information than any human being can really take in in one lifetime. You can find today's weather forecast in Delhi. You can get an update on the member of parliament who's trying to be released from prison in Zimbabwe. You can find videos that will teach you everything from replacing a kitchen faucet to learning multiplication tables to doing origami. You'll find yesterday's basketball scores, and my guess is some of you would be quite happy to relive those basketball scores particularly if you're red or if you're orange. You can get an update on Patrick Mahomes' ankle injury in light of next week's Super Bowl. You can check the gas prices in Beijing. You can find dogs available in Toronto for adoption. You can, uh, you know, find the best Vietnamese food in Cleveland, Ohio. You can get the phone number for the Captain D's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can find out how your friend's son did on his Spanish test in South Carolina because it's on Facebook. It is endless, isn't it? Ecclesiastes 12 says that of making many books there is no end, but in our day it may as well be said that, you, that, that, that of the finding of information on the internet there really is no end. But as much as we can access, as much as we can acquire, as much as we can know, there's still something we can't get to, no matter how hard we try. We can't reach it. We can't deduce it. We can't hack our way into it. We can't hunt it down. We can't even Google it. And that's that thing, that elusive thing, is what Paul is talking about in this text as he teaches us that God's wisdom 
isn't discovered by men. It's revealed by the Spirit. God's wisdom isn't discovered by men. It's revealed by the Spirit. And I'm just going to take those two phrases as our two headings. First, to see that God's wisdom isn't discovered by men. Now, don't get me wrong. We have lots of information. We have the gospel information. We have the words. There are people who've been in church their whole lives. They have heard the old, old story over and over again. So when you talk to your friend, she may be able to speak about gospel truths with great accuracy. She can tell you about what the Bible says about sin and about judgment, about Jesus and the cross, and even about the resurrection. She's got all the information, but your friend can't see the wisdom in it. God took on human flesh to come to earth. That sounds like a legend or, or, or a fairy tale. So what you're saying is that God punishes forever and that He's loving that doesn't make sense to me. So you want to convince me that Jesus dying then and there can forgive my sin here and now. That doesn't add up. And Jesus rising from the dead? I don't buy it. You see, the wisdom of God doesn't look like wisdom doesn't look like wisdom. Look, just flip a page back to chapter 1, verse 18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Chapter 1, verse 23. Christ crucified looks like a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Your friend hears the words but doesn't see the wisdom. Why? Well, Paul explains. He says God's wisdom is not of this world. God's wisdom is not of this world. Verse 6, among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Now, up till now, if you had just been reading the letter, you might think that Paul is basically opposed to any kind of wisdom because he's really played wisdom down up until this point. That has been one of the things that he has done. But now he says, no, 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 we do impart a wisdom. Paul does preach wisdom. He preaches wisdom when he actually preaches the gospel, when he preaches Christ crucified. But he says it's different. It's not the wisdom of this age. It's not the wisdom of the world. It doesn't originate with us, and it is not determined by us. You see, the wisdom of this age is a kind of collective wisdom, isn't it? It's kind of the best we can come up with. It's often a kind of wisdom by majority rule. So each new generation brings new twists on what is wise and what is best and what makes sense and what will work for human society. New wisdom regarding the family, new wisdom regarding morality, new wisdom regarding ethics, new wisdom regarding therapy, new wisdom regarding politics, new wisdom regarding sexuality, new wisdom regarding gender, new wisdom regarding just fill in the blank. 
But it's also not the wisdom of the rulers of the age. That's what he says, not of this age or of the rulers of this age. In other words, this wisdom that Paul preaches isn't the same kind of wisdom that you see from the people in power. Whether they're uh, elected officials or whether they're just popular in society. In Corinth, this would be, you know, the government official, the philosopher, the traveling teacher. And today, for us, it's the senators and the Congress people and the governors and the presidents and the all just fill in the blank. It's the talk show hosts, it's the movie stars. It's the social media influencers. It's all the people that when they speak, people listen. But Paul's saying, the wisdom that I preach isn't that wisdom. You see, influence and power in human society doesn't actually mean that a person has true wisdom. You don't even need to be told that, do you? Nobody needs to be told that. We know that winning an election is not a result of weighing out wisdom necessarily, right? No matter what level it's on. The fact that I get on the school board in Perry Township doesn't mean that I know anything about education or what I ought to do. It means I've got a whole bunch of friends in Perry Township who'd like to see me on the school board in Perry Township. Well, at least that's the case with me. I'm not saying anything about the board of Perry Township Schools. But it doesn't mean I have the wisdom. You see, so often the rulers of this age seem to pander to the wisdom of this age. Play to the majority. Play to the constituency. That's the wisdom I'll promote. And so Paul's saying the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of the rulers of this age, they're not solid. They don't last. They're not firm foundations to build your life on. They're shifting sand. Look at the end of verse 6. He says they're doomed to pass away, which makes it sound like it's all future, but the way it's actually written, it literally means they are passing away. They're crumbling, they're evaporating, they're falling apart. That's actually why the wisdom of the age has to change all the time, because it doesn't hold up. The, look, the, the, the wisdom of the world is like this iPhone. Because when you get it, and it's the newest thing, and you get it, you're like, this is great. I love this. Look what this can do for me. I feel like I fit in. Look. And then two and a half weeks later, there's a new one on the market. And you think, I need to go get that. That's what the wisdom of the world is. That's what the wisdom of the age is. It's design, by design, it's going to be replaced. Because just like your phone, it's not designed to last. It is designed to fall apart. God's wisdom is not the wisdom of the world. God's wisdom is actually eternal. It's not passing away. It's not ever-changing. Look at verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. God's secret and hidden wisdom is not new. It is not novel. It has been around since before creation. When only God was around. Before the beginning. Before Genesis 1-1. 
That's what Paul actually means by before the ages. It was then that God determined and declared that the Son of God would come and die on a cross and save sinners. The word here for decreed is actually the word predestined. God predestined that that, that, that the silly, humiliating, foolish-looking, scandalous, shameful cross would save the world. His wisdom would be unveiled there for our glory. The cross would accomplish our forgiveness and our redemption and would bring us to glory. Hebrews 2 said Jesus came and suffered. Why? To bring many sons to glory. And none of that was something God came up with after the fact. The cross, dear friend, the cross was not plan B. It's not like Adam and Eve sinned and then God threw up his hands and said, what am I going to do now? The thing I was trying to do isn't working. So I need to do something else. Let me try something else. What can we come up with? That is not what happened. The reality is, is that what this is teaching us is that before God said, let there be light, he said, let there be the light of the world. Let there be a savior. Let there be a cross. Let there be a death. Let there be a resurrection. Let there be salvation through the work of my son. You see, God's wisdom never emerges. It never shows up to the party. It's always been. It's been God's wisdom from before the ages for our glory. But also God's wisdom is beyond our human capacity. It is not of this world. It is eternal and thus... It is beyond our human capacity. Look at verses 8 and 9. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This hidden eternal wisdom isn't just different from the wisdom of this age. It's incomprehensible to this age. Paul's saying if Pilate, if only Pontius Pilate had understood, if Herod had, Herod had understood, if Caiaphas had understood, if they had had this wisdom, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory if they could have seen God's purposes, if they could have seen it. If they could have seen God's Son as He really is, they wouldn't have crucified Him. But as it is, none of us understand God's wisdom. Not even rulers with all their access and all their advisors and all their resources. You see, no matter what we do with our eyes, no matter what we listen to with our ears, no matter how we compute with our brains, we don't get it. That's what verse 9 means. Who knows? We don't. No matter what kind of think tank we put together, or clues we find. We can't, we can't 
come up with God's wisdom. There's, there, there's, there's no lab where you can dissect it, the gospel, and get to its heart. There's no scientific method to prove the gospel hypothesis. There's no philosophy class where you can unravel the mystery of the gospel. It is beyond our natural capacity, which is why it looks so foolish. That's why Jews want a sign. That's why Greeks want wisdom. Because we don't get it. I mean, I'm looking right at it. I'm reading the Gospels. I'm reading Matthew 26, 27, 28. I'm reading about him hanging on the cross and thieves on two sides. I'm reading about him going into the tomb. I'm reading about him rising again. I'm reading in 1 Corinthians 15 about 500 people seeing him, these eyewitnesses to the resurrection. I am reading it all. I can recite it all, but I don't get any of it. None of it makes sense. That's what Paul is saying is true of all of humanity. Our capacity can't handle it. God's wisdom can't be discovered. And he underlines that in verse 11. Look down at verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. You see, to think that I have the ability to figure out God's wisdom to get in the inner circle there is like thinking I can see inside of you and tell what you're thinking. I can see your secrets. I can see your motivations. I can see your thoughts. I can see your intentions. But friends, we don't have that kind of power. I don't and neither do you. I don't know your thoughts or your secrets. I don't know what's hidden in your heart right now. And you don't know what's hidden in mine. Truth is, many relationship problems emerge because we think we know the intentions of the other person. We think we know the thoughts of the other person. We think we know the motives of the other person. So just as a quick aside, don't do that. Husbands and wives, no matter how long you've been married, no matter how sure you are that that eyebrow raise means this, Don't do it. You do not know what's going on in the heart and mind and the inner recesses of even the one you've been married to for that long. You may have a good hunch. You may even end up being right, but it's not because you knew it. Because you could read their inner thoughts. All we have to read is what's on the outside. What we see and what we hear. Parents, don't do that with your children. Don't do it. Don't assume you know their motives, their intentions, their thoughts. Children, don't assume that about your parents. Don't assume you know what they're up to, that what they're doing, what they're trying to accomplish. Don't assume it. In your friendships, don't do it. In your work relationships, don't do it. If you're the boss, don't do it with your employees. If you're an employee, don't do it with your boss. You don't have the capacity to understand the inner life of any other human being. Now, is that clear? If that's the case with other human beings who are kind of like me, right? How much more true is it of the eternal God 
who is nothing like me. I may be able to make a guess as to what Jeremiah is thinking over here. But there is no way I can guess what God has prepared for those who love him. I, I can't come up with that. And neither can you. God's wisdom isn't discovered by men. It can't be discovered. Now, if that's the end of the story, imagine how hopeless we are, right? We just hear these gospel words, this word of the cross, but we'd never see its wisdom because we can't see it naturally. But in addition to that, 2 Corinthians 4 says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So Satan keeps us from seeing, Satan keeps us from the glory, keeps us from the beauty, keeps us from the wisdom. Literally, everything is working against us. We are hopeless. At least that's how it looks, isn't it? But actually, we're not hopeless. Because, secondly... God's wisdom is revealed by the Spirit. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit of God. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see, just as only you know you, only God knows God. And the Holy Spirit is God. He is God extending Himself, extending His presence and His power into His creation to accomplish His purposes and His plans. And part of the Spirit's work is revealing God's wisdom to human beings who could never find it on their own. So the Spirit knows everything about God. He plumbs the depths, He knows the secrets, He knows where everything's hidden. And he goes down and he gets it and he brings it up and he shows it and he puts it on display and he shines a spotlight on God's wisdom in Jesus Christ in the cross so that it doesn't just look like a cross anymore. It looks like hope. It doesn't look like torture anymore. It looks like forgiveness. It doesn't just look like torture is what I mean to say. It doesn't just look like torture. It looks like forgiveness. It doesn't just look like death. It looks like life. That's what the Spirit does. God's wisdom, God's insight into the cross. A huge spotlight is thrown on it by the Spirit of God. Now there are two questions that we must ask that that this paragraph answers. And the first is, to whom does the Spirit reveal this wisdom? Which is a good question because remember we've been saying all along not everybody sees it. Even as Paul has been talking, he's been saying there's one group that sees the cross as folly, right? 
And there's one group that sees the cross as power. So who's who? What's what here? Well, look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And I would suggest, not I would suggest, the answer is whoever we is, whoever us is, that, that's who the spirits revealed the wisdom to. So we have to find out who that is. He says, this we has received the Spirit of God. This we has received things freely given by God. And that verb for freely given is used elsewhere to speak of giving forgiveness and of giving an eternal spiritual inheritance. And it's in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all... How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, the same us in Romans 8 there is the same us in 1 Corinthians 2. Who is us? Who is we? Is Paul saying we are me and everybody else in the entire world, no matter what they think or what they believe or what their relationship is with Jesus Christ? Is that who's received the Spirit of God, yes or no? No. Is that who's been freely forgiven and has a spiritual inheritance, yes or no? No. So then who is the we? Who is us? And the answer, according to 1 Corinthians, it's those who believe. It's Christians. We are the ones who have received God's wisdom. We are the ones in whom God has revealed the wisdom of a cross that looked like foolishness to us. You see, there was a time in your life, if you're a Christian, there's a time in your life when the gospel was nothing but foolishness. You just wanted to keep throwing darts at it. You're just like, no, 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 no. No, it was a message that you ignored. It was a message that you endured. It just became white noise that played when a preacher stood up in the pulpit and he just, let's pray. That's what the gospel was. I heard of Jesus and his love and his cross more times than I can count from Sunday school teachers, from from preachers preaching sermons at vacation Bible schools, at youth camps. So many times, and it meant nothing. And then there was a Tuesday night in 1990, in the summer of 1990, at a youth camp when something changed. The message that I heard and had ignored that had bounced off of my heart like a rubber ball bouncing off concrete suddenly became a jackhammer. And it broke up the concrete of my heart, and I understood things I had never understood before. But here's the thing. Just two days prior, I had heard that same gospel in the pulpit of my home church. 
Just seven hours earlier, I had heard that gospel from that same preacher in that same room. And I had heard it twice the day before on the first day of camp. The question is, what happened? I hadn't gotten any smarter. Trust me. The preacher hadn't gotten any better. I hadn't turned over any kind of leaf. What happened? Why did that night did I see myself and my sin and my Savior so differently? And as I cry out that answer, the Apostle Paul calls me over and he says, Toby, it was because of the Spirit. Don't you see, son? The Spirit opened your eyes. The Spirit threw back the curtains so you could see the light of the glory of Jesus. The the Spirit came to your spiritual grave and he said, get up. And he ripped the hand off of my eyes and he said, come here. Let me show you someone. And when I saw Jesus, really saw him, really saw him for the first time, I turned away from everything I'd been and everything I thought. And I went running to him. And I cling to him. And I trusted in him. And I followed him. Because the Spirit revealed him. You see, if you're a Christian, that's your story too. At at one moment, the cross looked like nothing but foolishness. But the next moment, the cross looked like nothing but glory. And you came running. And it wasn't because you were smarter. And it wasn't because you had figured it out. It's because these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Second question. How does the Spirit reveal wisdom? How is that? Well, it's really quite something what Paul says here. Look at verse 13. It's going to be, remember last week, unexpected power, unexpected people, unexpected preaching. You remember that? How everything about the gospel is unexpected. Well, why should we expect anything other than the unexpected. How is it that God reveals this? Well, look at verse 13. We impart this in words. (laughs) In words. Words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The Spirit teaches and reveals and unveils God's wisdom through words. On that Tuesday night in 1990, I was sitting listening to words. The words were no longer rubber balls. The words became a jackhammer. But they were the same words. 
But this is how the Spirit works. Not in some mystical word that only I can hear in my mind. Through ordinary words like the words that are used in pulpits like this. Words that are shared across dinner tables. Words that are spoken over fences. Words that are spoken uh, at ball fields. Words that are spoken in break rooms. It's just simple words about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is how the Spirit does it. We impart this in words taught by the Spirit. Words are the means by which the Spirit of God works in the heart. You see, the true, and that's why we have to be so faithful to the words. That's why we have to say what the words are saying. Because it's the true and faithful words of the gospel that become a key in the hand of the Spirit. And the Spirit takes that key and unlocks the safe where God's treasure of wisdom is and opens it up for us so that we can see it. So, dear Christian, don't give up on words. Don't give up on words. Don't stop sharing the gospel. Don't think there's some other way. Don't think the Spirit changes His method. He doesn't. Keep speaking. Keep sharing. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian at all and you've been trying to understand Christianity for quite some time. And you hear me talking about the fact that God's wisdom is not discovered and you're like, I'm on that page because I don't get it. I hear this all the time. I come to this church quite often with my friend or with my family member, and I don't get it. There's something keeping me from getting it. All I can tell you is, yes, something is keeping you from getting it, but don't give up on words. Keep reading them. Keep studying them. Keep listening to the cross. Keep listening to Christ dead and resurrected again. Keep listening to the gospel. Ask God to help you. Ask God to show you mercy, to give you insight, to send his spirit to teach you, to open your eyes, to open your heart. But listen, the fact that this text teaches that does not let any single human being on the planet off the hook. Because in Acts 17, God says, Paul Paul tells the Athenians there that God commands all men everywhere to repent. Oh, dear friend, you are still responsible. You can't just point and say, hey, I remember studying that 1 Corinthians 2 thing and uh, how I don't get it because uh, I don't get it, so I don't have to worry about what the gospel says. Oh, no, dear friend, you have to listen carefully to the gospel. You have to consider the ramifications of refusing the gospel, of refusing the Lord Jesus Christ. You must repent and believe in Jesus. And if you will, here's the great thing. Jesus will never put you out. He will never let you go. He will keep you to the very end when you come to him. And then if you come to him and you sit in your chair this afternoon and you put up the feet and you sit there and you think about how wonderful it is to know Jesus and be forgiven by Jesus and to be known by Jesus and to be kept by Jesus and to be saved by Jesus, you know what you'll think? Well, that wasn't because of me at all, was it? It wasn't because I was so smart. It wasn't because of my great willpower. It was because of the Spirit. And friend, when you're sitting in that chair and your feet are up and you're thinking about that, just know that all of us think that because that's the case. God's wisdom isn't discovered by men. It's revealed by the Spirit. 
But listen, Paul applies this truth, and that's the rest of this text. And we're not going to go in detail. I want to read it, and I want to help you see why Paul has said all of this. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You see how Paul has come all the way back to where he was in chapter 1. He said in chapter 1, you have to stop this divisiveness. Your unity is in the gospel, a gospel that doesn't make sense to the world. Not its power, not its people, and not its preaching. But it makes sense to you, not because you discovered it, but because the Spirit revealed it to you. And all you're doing is sitting here acting as if the Spirit never came into your life. It's the natural man who's without the Spirit. The natural man prefers the wisdom of the world. The natural man holds the views of the world. The natural man has the the mind of the world. And Paul is saying to these Corinthians, that's what you're acting like. Like you never saw the cross. Loved ones, you have the Spirit. You're brothers in Christ. You have the mind of Christ, but you're not acting like it. You're acting like the natural man. You see, the Corinthians would tell you, we are following Christ, but all the while they're looking over their shoulder at the world, saying, you know, things aren't that bad back there. There's some good things. There's some good ideas that we should hold on to back there. That's why they're divided. That's why unity is out the window. That's why holiness is out the window. That's why Paul wrote this letter. Because they're living more like the world, like the natural man, and not spiritually. You see, this whole discussion about the Spirit's work and the difference between the natural man and the spiritual man isn't meant to be an academic discussion only. It's not meant to be just a little section in your... Uh, you know, systematic theology. It's not just to be a brain teaser. It's not just for, you know, the heady philosophical types. No, 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 no. No, ordinary people like you and me need to understand this because this has huge implications for how we live in this family and how we live in the world. You see, Paul is looking into the eyes of the Corinthians and saying, look what God has done in you through his spirit. Stop being merely human. Be spiritual. Grow up. The the church congregation and the gathering sounds like a bunch of squalling babies seeking comfort in the arms of the world and its ways. Stop looking to the world for its wisdom, for how to think, for how to live, for how to relate to one another. Remember what you've been given, the Spirit of God. You've been given salvation through the power and the wisdom of God. Live like it. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians. 
And I guess what I wonder is, how many of us need to hear that? How many of us need to stop looking at 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 16 as some kind of just intellectually stimulating couple of paragraphs that we can muse about and argue about over coffee and just talk to our our friends about? How many of us need to have the Apostle Paul take us by the shoulders and look us in the eye and the Spirit of God look us in the eye through the Apostle Paul and say, Dear Christian, stop looking back to the world and its wisdom. Stop taking your cues from the world and its wisdom. Stop trying to fit in with the world and its wisdom. You have been given a greater wisdom by the Spirit of God, a wisdom that you could have never found on your own, but He has shown you and Christ has saved you. Live according to that wisdom. Live according to the wisdom of the cross. Look at what you have and stop being merely Human, be spiritual. Live in step with the Spirit and grow up. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. You see, because the temptation is when you hear 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 16 is to wrongly think that, that, that somehow you are superior because you have this revelation from the Spirit. Well, all those other people, they don't see what I see. They don't understand like I understand. And Paul is saying, grow up. You did not get here on your own. But you're living like you did. I can't even talk to you like you have the Spirit of God when you're acting that way. I wonder if you need to hear that today. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. But when we say, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Let's pray. Our Father, we bow before you humbled because we recognize our limited knowledge as human beings that we cannot see and know and understand and love the beauty of the cross on our own. We cannot see our sin for what it is. We cannot see the judgment that awaits. We do not understand Jesus dying in our place. None of this did we know on our own. But, oh God, how we are thankful and humbled that these things the Spirit has revealed to us. This revelation says, only speaks of our inability, but it speaks of your great grace and your love. And so help us not to live as those who somehow, with our worldly wisdom, clawed our way into favor with you, Help us to live as those 
who were called out of the spiritual grave and had the enemy's hand taken from our eyes so that the Spirit could show us Jesus. Help us to grow up and to be spiritual and to not be merely human. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing.